This episode is sponsored by Enriched Superfoods. Enriched is my go-to store for the most powerful, most pure superfoods on the plain et. They've got all the good stuff from maca to matcha, from shilajit to powdered greens. But you know what I love the most? I love the mushrooms. Now I know what most of you are thinking, get on with the show, right? But I know what else you're thinking. You're thinking, how can I get better at strangling people? Us jiu-jitsu guys, we're all the same. We want to be better, we want to be badder. Well, being better requires two things, learning more stuff and being able to execute more stuff. And Enriched has got you covered with what I'm calling the White Basement Jiu-Jitsu Super Stack. First is Lion's Mane Mushroom to supercharge memory, focus and clarity and even better, give a neurotrophic boost literally helping you grow new jiu-jitsu brain cells. Now, a jiu-jitsu super brain is all well and good, but if you can't execute on the mat, then it don't mean jack. That's why the second half of the super stack is the legendary Cordyceps CS4 mushroom extract, scientifically proven to offer heroic levels of stamina and energy, as well as improved lung function, actually helping you breathe better while you stop other people from breathing at all. Go to enriched.co, that's E-N-R-I-C-H-D.co, and use the promo code WHITEBASEMENTPOD for a 10% discount across the whole site. Want to get more taps in more rounds and more respect from more people? Then get super stacked. Go to enriched.co and use the promo code WHITEBASEMENTPOD. I hit the trailer of the tractor um, and then I, th- so this is like four lanes at this point so uh, I've, I'm in the first lane I've hit the um, uh, trailer it's not me into the first lane um, the lorry's then like come run over me um, that chewed me up spat me out the back into the then third lane I got hit by a Ford Mondeo and then into the fourth lane I got hit by a transit so I just got absolutely battered um, the 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 leg, like both of my legs were like completely wrecked really like this one was just like hanging on with just like muscle and um sinew and stuff hey guys welcome to another episode of the white basement podcast don't forget to follow us on instagram at white basement pod my guest today is james hazel he goes by the instagram handle of amputee underscore bjj And I don't want to give away the crazy details of his story, which hopefully we're going to cover today. So by way of an introduction, I will say simply this. Sometimes in this life, you come across people who demonstrate viscerally the power of the human spirit and its ability to overcome adversity. They challenge you to be better, to do better and to appreciate everything. James, welcome to the podcast. <laughs> that's really nice, man. <laughs> what, what an intro. Was that all right? Yeah, yeah that was really, that was really <laughs> I, nice. I man. never know, you know, like uh, to do a long intro or a short intro or, uh, you know, and, and a lot of people, as we were just saying, I don't, you know, we've not really spoken. So, I, yeah, I don't, I, I read the article that you uh, sent me about uh, what happened, but I don't really know a lot about you. So I was like, let me just kind of do a, a brief one. Yeah. Because the, the way this happened was super crazy. Yeah, yeah. It's, so it's, do, should we kind of start? Yeah, yeah. From we can, that, we'll go. Everything, so yeah, yeah, just just what, what 
Tell me what happened. Um, so the, I, I'm an amputee. I'm an uh, above knee amputee. Um, and I lost my leg in September 2013. Um, I was on my way home from work, uh, riding a motorbike. And uh, I, I was on the motorway. or the a, it's, it's the A2, so it's technically an A road. Um, and that's important because uh, tractors are allowed on the A roads, it, despite it being like a 70 mile. I'm obviously still a bit better. But, uh, <laughs> so this uh, tractor's going at 25, 30 mile an hour. It's got a trailer on the back and... I think I just, I'd come from such a distance, I think I just hadn't seen that it was a tractor and it was going so slow. Um, so I've looked over my shoulder to see if it was safe to um, overtake. And stupid, it was, it was like right, but it was like pretty much right on my junction. So, you know, just like when you're coming off at the junction, I don't know, I, I was young and uh, I think it was just always like, like a few more cars. I can just always get a bit closer, a bit faster. And uh, this time I'd looked over my shoulder and um, it wasn't safe to overtake. There was a lorry there. So I've turned my head back forwards and then by the time I've looked forward, I'd, I've gained so much ground on this um, tractor and I'm like right behind it. Slam my brakes onto, um, obviously trying to <laughs> try slow down, the bike lost control. Um, and then I hit the trailer of the tractor. Um, and then, I, th so this is like four lanes at this point. So uh, I've, I'm in the first lane, I've hit the um, uh, trailer. It's not me into the first lane. Um, the lorry's then like come run over me. Um, that chewed me up, spat me out the back into the then third lane. I got hit by a Ford Mondeo, and then into the fourth lane, I got hit by a Transit. So I just got absolutely battered. Um, the 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 leg, like both of my legs were like completely wrecked. Really, like this one was just like hanging on with just like muscle and um, sinew and stuff. And then my right leg, um, I fractured the femur. Um, my left arm, I broke the I broke my wrist and. Well, I've got a plate there now. I've got a rod, sorry, from the femur break, I've got a rod, completely shattered my knee, and broke my pelvis. Um, I've got, I had two breaks on my arm there. My shoulder, dislocated my shoulder as well. Um, ribs, collapsed lung. Um, like every, I just absolutely smashed everything to pieces. Um, and I, I was uh, say fortunate, there was like a, a long period of time, um, the police officer told me this after, where people were literally just driving around me in the road and I'm just like laying bleeding to death in the road. Um, and some, someone, thank God, parked their van in front of me to, to block me because I'm just in the last lane of the motorway at this point, like right, just laying in the middle of the lane. He's blocked, he's blocked it off, but he didn't really know what to do. Um, and then loads of traffic's then built up. And there was another biker there that had done a first aid course literally a week before he rode to the front and he tied a tourniquet um on the leg that was like bleeding really bad and he's like that, that saved my life really well i mean there was multiple times where someone saved my life but um i think that was like a huge one um i was i, I was still completely conscious at this point um and i'm like <laughs> I was like trying to get up. This guy's massive. I said, I've still got him on Facebook and everything. And he's massive and he's like trying to hold me down. And I'm like trying to get up despite like my arm and everything being broken. I think just like the adrenaline. Um, I had a, a crash helmet on and I was like, I wanted to take the helmet off. And they're like, you can't in case you're your um, neck and I, I just remember I pulled it off from there and I said my neck's fine my legs are <laughs> and um, anyway long uh, they, they took me to hospital um, they put me into an induced coma when I got to hospital um, and then that's when they decided they had to amputate the leg um, so they they did the surgery both uh, they, they fixed this leg um, and then sorted the amputation and everything out on that leg um, and then I was in the induced coma for a week 
they then after that they they fixed my arm because I wasn't like the the arm they left for like two weeks because I wasn't well enough to have surgery. I'd been had to be resuscitated three times between like the roadside and getting to hospital. Um, and yeah, so then I was I was in hospital. Um, I discharged myself in after three weeks. They they moved me to a different hospital. Um, after kick, like I was, I was in a London hospital, and I was just like getting really fed up. I just wanted to go home, and they're telling me that I'm going to be in there for like three or four months. And I was like, I was so stubborn, and I was like, I'm not. I was like, this isn't a prison. I, I can go home if I want. And I was really fortunate. My sister's a nurse, um, so she'd taken some time off work to, to basically just nurse me at home, um, and I'd like recovered a lot quicker from there. I'd got back to. I was wheeling, like wheeling myself with one arm in a wheelchair to get back to work. Within like a couple of months, I was back, um, and then just from there, it just it just snowballed into something like it's, it's quite great. It's crazy, but but um, you also when you were in hospital at the beginning, when you woke up from the induced coma, yeah, you you got from that article you thought that you were being like detained there right oh god yeah the, so the the hospital most of the, the the like trauma from the accident was like all from hospital and like my my delusions in the hospital um like prior prior to my accident like i'd been suffering with like really bad mental health anyway so i think my head like was already a bit all over the show and then the trauma of the accident and then all the um medication it like it just sent me completely bonkers so i th i thought for like a long period that i'd been that it was sort of all, all a big setup that, that they'd um faked this accident and they were actually harvesting me for body parts and they were selling my body parts um and i was convinced about it like i'd i i couldn't i couldn't move anything and i had this oxygen mask on and i'd rubbed my head to get this i just kept rubbing this strap off the back because I thought that the oxygen mask was a sedative and that's what they were using to sedate me. So like every bit in me was still just like fight. I was just trying to get around. I, I just used to like rub my head across the back of the bed, get this oxygen mask off. And then I'd rubbed it so much I had a bald patch on the back of my head. Um, and then the nurses would come over and then they would say, no, you've had an accident. And I'd, I, couldn't, I couldn't even talk because I had like all the um, stuff Jesus. in my throat yeah. and everything. And I, I was like, they're trying, to, they're trying to trick me. And uh, the whole... The, the whole hospital experience was crazy and then there was this um one nurse this guy called ronan uh, i was convinced this guy had like say <laughs> had like completely saved my life and um he'd stopped me stopped my body parts being sold and he'd put me all back together and he had to like sell me to someone else and the, the stories from from there that, that none so of did, it actually happened did, did you manage to communicate any of that to the the nursing staff and the doctors like were they aware of how you were yeah I, uh, eventually i think like once, once like it was still for quite a period after the tubes when i was like able to talk and stuff that i was still under all these like crazy delusions uh, um but my, my mum would tell people like before they came come to see me like it's, it's a bit it's a bit so mental did your, your mum knew like how what what your perception was like people that were visiting you were they were they aware of how you were feeling oh they did i don't think that they knew the the depths of it, like I don't think, like, because I would just sort of go in and out of this sort of state of, you know, like one minute my parents or whatever would be there and then like I could talk coherently and like, yeah. none of this would happen and then the next I'd go back into this sort of, that absolute crazy world. Um, so I'd, like they would try and help me and like, you know, when I'm saying these delusions and stuff and they're yeah. like actually trying to correct me but I'd, I would argue with them because I was, I was so convinced. <laughs> 
Uh, there was, I remember a point where it, it, where I started to realise that I was it was just mental, and it was my my brother was um, stood next to me. He was drinking from a cup. Of, I don't know. He was drinking from a cup of water. He put it on the side next to this fan, and I could it. I could feel the water evaporating out of this cup into the fan and blowing all over me. And I said, "Can you move your thing? The water's going all over me." And he was like, "It's not." And then I, I, the sort of penny drop that that didn't make any sense. But I had to say, "Can you move it anyway?" Because I can still feel it. Like yeah. even though I'm imagining it, I can still feel the the, the water going all over me. But um, yeah, and, there was so many from there. And so, do do you think that um, that that was just kind of um, like a, a, a mental health reaction to? how you had been feeling before and the drugs and everything or or do you do you think maybe it was almost like your mind was trying to go somewhere else to avoid dealing with like the the physical stuff or you know that's sure? a good question man i've i've i've, I've never actually really considered it almost sounds it like, like, that, like yeah. it could be like a bit of a protective thing where it goes let's just fucking go over here yeah and yeah don't worry about that shit let's i i i think that's that's definitely um that's like a feasible uh, explanation for sure. I think there's, I think there were so many like contributing factors to it to say like it was just one thing. I'm not sure, but I mean that that adds up because there was, it was a good few weeks before I even remembered about the crash, and that now I can remember the the, the bits of it. Like it it, it yeah. came back to me in bits, yeah. and at the time I I did think that that was probably like my my head protecting me, like it's too much to deal with. Yeah. And just, just to sort of like carry on but like I, I didn't like for, for even when I was in hospital I, I thought for a long period that like I, I could still feel my leg completely as if it was there and I thought that I just had my leg and then my knee bent and then there's like a hole in the bed that my leg that my leg went through and that's why I couldn't see it at the end yeah um yeah it's I, nuts I mean I, I, I had a, a much much less uh similar experience I had a motorbike accident when I was I don't know 18 19 mm -hmm. broke all my ribs punctured my lung got run over by another motorbike like right. a fucking lorry van whatever yeah yeah um and i and i was i was i think i was waiting it was like the middle of the night we were we were i can't say we were racing because there's, there's no <laughs> statute of limitations but we were driving vigorously around the, <laughs> around the roundabout um but yeah i came off my friend ran me over there was a there was about 10, 12 of us. It's the middle of the night, but this was uh, 30 years ago. So no mobile phones, like you have to, someone had to go ride to a petrol station and try and, the guy wouldn't let him in, try and get him to, he had to threaten to drive his bike through the, the, the window for the guy to let him in to ring an ambulance. Wow. You know, this, this was old, old days. Yeah. So I think I was there for about, they said to me about an hour, hour and a half, I was lying on the road. Um, but for me, it was, I, I couldn't tell. I was maybe there five minutes, ten minutes. I remember the police arriving. I don't remember the ambulance coming. I don't remember going to hospital at all. Then I remember being in uh, like A&E in the, whatever, in the, the booth and getting like a chest drain and getting right. drugs and, and whatever and feeling like awesome because they pump you with so much morphine <laughs> and stuff. You just feel like, oh, I feel yeah, yeah. <laughs> And then... I think I was, I mean, I, I had a kind of a, a similar experience to you in terms of wanting to get out of hospital. So I was in, I was in Chase Farm in just like an open ward. Um, so I think there was probably like 
15 or 20 beds there, mostly older people. This, as far as I could tell, there was someone was like dying every night. I would wake up in the morning and someone would just have a sheet over them and then they would come and take body away and put someone else in the bed. And I was, and I was like 18, 19, I can't remember, 18, yeah, 19, yeah. 20. I was like, I need to get the fuck out of here. I had a chest drain in, so I kind of couldn't sort of lie down. And then I, I can remember as well, I had like a bit of a headache because I think I had really bad whiplash, but it didn't kick in for a few days or whatever. And I, the first few days, you know, yours was obviously much, much longer than mine, but first few days, you don't know what's going on. Yeah, yeah. Probably three days before you realise, right, I'm, I'm in hospital, I'm sitting up, I've got a thing in my chest. But I, after about a week, I, I had a bit of a headache and I said to this nurse in the night, like, I've got a bit of a headache, can you give me a painkiller? And she, I don't know what she gave me, but I got this migraine and it didn't go for like <laughs> three weeks. Oh, it was so bad. And, and you know, my mum my was coming in to visit me. And I was saying like, you've got to just get me out of here. Like I'm going to die if I stay here. It's just so grim. The food's horrible. Like it's just people moaning and groaning and Yeah, it's a very negative and, environment, like, isn't it? You, you really sort of feel like that. It, I mean, I think, I think that might have been the first time that I was really aware of like the the energy of your environment, like in a tangible way. Yeah. Because I was young. Before that, you're living at home, you know, your parents kind of do everything and you know, whatever. Sometimes at school it's a bit moody, but that finishes at 3.45 and then you go home and whatever. Yeah, yeah. But like being somewhere, like you say, where you're like kind of in there and you can't get out yeah. and there's nothing to do and there's no one to talk to and, you know, it's... Man, it's you. I my personal feeling from that one experience is only that one experience. You, you can't get better in there. No, no, that's you I, can't I get completely agree. With. That's you what to, I was like. I've got to go. They, they were like fighting it. Like they had like a psych, um, psychiatrist come around to sort of. That basically their their angle was if they they tell me that I'm not in a state to say that I want to leave, like mentally, then they they can refuse it. Yeah. Because I just wanted to get, but like for the, and for them, they're like, no, there's no way. But I, I, I just, I was like, I've got no more surgeries or anything coming. Like, if I if I need something, then I'll get someone to drop me back. Do you know what I mean? It's not like yeah. they're gonna just leave me there on the door. Yeah, I think I think there is that um, often, not not always, but often with when you're dealing with medical people, it's kind of like no, like this is the way we do it. It's like rigid and like this is what the protocol says and it can't can't deviate from that yeah. rather than I mean obviously they're overworked, they can't sort of find out everything about every patient. But rather than kind of listening to people and saying, actually, you know what, this guy's probably better if he does go. Yeah. And let's book him four days time with a community ambulance to pick him up, come back, do a checkup, go home again, you know. Yeah. Do it that way. They wouldn't sort an ambulance or anything out for me to get back. That's I had what I mean. to, um my friend's dad's a cabbie and he had to a black cab so he could just lay me across the back seats and put the thing out so I was just like because I couldn't bend the leg at all so I, I, <laughs> everywhere I went the leg had to be like dead so straight so do you go out in a wheelchair? yeah they pushed me in a chair and then like I, I, I was like not in a state where you'd think this person should be going home like yeah, it was it yeah. was definitely really early <laughs> but it was for me I, it was the, but was you think that was the right decision? yeah and yeah. like now with, like now I can look back and go 100% that was the right decision yeah um, I, I, in some ways, like there were some annoying bits after where they basically, like, they, for example, like I was on these blood thinners, and because it was on like 
some repeat prescription in the hospital. They didn't ever tell me that I was supposed to stop taking them after a few weeks and they were supposed to be on tablets. So for like six so months, I'm like what? injecting these like fragment and I didn't need to do it. Um, and then there was like problems like referring me on for like the aftercare, like prosthetics and wheelchairs and everything like that. Um, but as uh, for my like sanity, I had to, I, I think one of the turning points for me, it drove me mental. I, I smoked at the time, but obviously you can't smoke in the hospital. And I had nicotine patches. And um, I, I went to turn to the like cupboard bit to get one of my nicotine patches, and they're gone. I called the nurse. I said, like, "Where's my nicotine patches?" She was like, "Oh, we we took them. We have to give them to you." Like, I was like, "I, I bought them there. <laughs> they're my own." And, and there was um, patients with like dementia, and she was like, "Yeah, but what if someone with dementia gets up?" And I was like, "What's he gonna do? Like, when I overdose himself on nicotine, come and stick all the but yeah, exactly. Like, the fuck's gonna happen?" Um, so then from then I was like, I've got to go, like, uh, I'm not, <laughs> I can't live like that. Yeah, yeah, that's a, that's a, that's a, is a, I mean, it's, you take it, so many things, right, you take for granted, so many things, but again, like your freedom, you take for granted. I mean, yeah. I, I don't know what your experience was recently with all the kind of lockdown stuff, mm. but I think a lot of people kind of realised, like, just being able to potter around outside, go for a walk, go see your mate, go for a drink, go for a coffee, whatever. You kind of take these things for granted. Yeah, yeah. And they should be, right? We we are free people. We uh -huh. should be free to, to 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 come and go as we please. But the institutions have a lot of control. Yeah, it can be taken from yeah, you. Yeah, they can yeah, yeah it's sign a piece of paper and you're you ain't going nowhere. Yeah, yeah. I wasn't I wasn't into the whole lockdown thing. I, yeah. I mean I, I I don't know. It's like, I, I, d I just did my own stuff, you know. So I wasn't like we going like well. spreading it. But I was, yeah, if yeah, I, wanted, well. I was really fortunate at the time because I was actually still able to, um, to train because I was playing wheelchair rugby league for England at the time. So and so it was classed as elite sports. Um, so right. there was a, a point of the lockdown where if you were an elite sportsman, so like I had a pass and it was all like in a letter and everything, that basically I had like free reign, I could go and train. Yeah. Um, so empty I, roads, empty facilities. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so, all right, so to go one step back then, you you um, you get home, you start to kind of heal up and whatever. What was the process of kind of like dealing with physically and dealing with mentally and emotionally yeah. like you lost your leg yeah yeah um it was, it was strangely like it i mean there were bits like until this point that I'd, i'll get to but um for the most part i wasn't actually like i was okay with the whole situation i, I don't know if well i think again it's like a, a few different things combined i think a big part of it was obviously what had happened and that i was so close to death um so it sort of felt like whatever the, the price was, I was like okay with it. Um, and then secondly, I, I think because a lot of the injuries that I had were things that were go going to improve, I, I didn't really realise the, the gravity of it, I think, until like a lot of months later. Uh, once everything else, once I'd got to a point where I, everything was like as healed as it was going to be, then I think that's when I, I, I started to think more about it. Um, because every day there were like new like milestones that I'd hit because I, I could start to do things that I wasn't able to do before. Um, like all the way, like getting upstairs or like being able to stand to have a piss and stuff like that. Like just silly things that I was um, 
that were like my next goals and every time I'd, I'd make a next goal and then I wanted to when someone came around to visit me I wanted to get to like get up and be able to answer the door or um, just just silly things like that um, and then it came to a point it was probably a good six eight months or something after um, and something had just like triggered it in me and I, I like it, it all hit me like like at once and for one or two days I was just like a sobbing mess like I, that, it was like uncontrollable I was like super down about it and and then as quick as it had gone to that it was like something in my brain had just switched again and just realized that that was the situation and that I had to like accept it and and carry, like nothing it doesn't matter how much you like cry or get upset or, or do anything like the situation remains the same so um it's a bit of a morbid way to look at it but i think like if you if you're choosing to carry on like if i'm if i'm not choosing to like end anything there or anything then you've got to carry on and and, and put your energy towards that and i think it just something just clicked in my head and really since then like I've, I've not had anywhere near like there'll be like moments where I'm a bit like oh it'd be nice if I could do that or um but I, I, I've been like really sort of content with it and there's been so much good stuff that's come off the back of it that just like every time like further enforces that um so and, and this is about 10 years now right it's te- yeah it'll be 10 in years in the next month yeah 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 um and so so were you were you sort of playing sports and active athletic before the accident yeah so i i'd been like my whole life i'd always done sports um i played like football rugby um and then before the before my crash i was playing field hockey that was the that was what i was playing at the time um i was never like so committed to sports so i think it was something that i i did as like purely just a hobby rather than sort of a lifestyle um, like a, like hockey, I, I hardly ever would go to like the training nights and stuff. You know, I just wanted to play games, and um, I, I, I wasn't like committed to being a better athlete or anything. It was just something that I'd always done, so I continued. Um, and then I had had my accident, and then it was I'd, I'd gone to do a like t- a sort of uh, disabled sport. Like it was for amputees. This um, it was really good actually. It was called Limb Power. Um, and basically, the, the, it's loads of amputees. You meet up over one weekend at Stoke Mandeville, and they just you just try loads of different sports and stuff. And it's like it, it's really good. I, I think especially for like newer amputees, um, just to see like because there's like people there that have been for years. And uh, anyway, I'd I'd, I'd realised that I'd like sports a bit then, but there still wasn't really anything for me. And then um, uh, I'd start, then uh, someone had contacted me from. Uh, an article in the local paper and there was a picture of me doing a handstand on the beach because um, I'd like, gone around travelling and stuff and then uh, he'd seen this and he ran a wheelchair rugby team and he contacted me just purely on the fact that I looked like I was a bit athletic and he, he was looking for more players um, so then I started playing wheelchair rugby that went on for I don't know how many years like it probably like six years total or something but I got to the point I was playing for England um, at wheelchair rugby league and um, I played wheelchair rugby sevens for England as well. Like I, I was, I'd, I'd got good at it, you know. Um, and then into jujitsu, I, I, I was essentially I was training for the World Cup, which was just last year. Um, I was planning to go travelling the year, like once the World Cup had finished. Um, but then they postponed the World Cup for a year because of COVID. So then it was like I wasn't going 
I, in my head, I was like still going away so I was, I, and I couldn't commit like another year to training for the World Cup because it wasn't it's, it's not just like oh like I'm doing a World Cup you know you've got to train every day there's like things that you've got to do and I wasn't enjoying the, the training aspect of it anymore I think once it got to that point where it was so serious it like sucked so much of the enjoyment out for me um, and in between then I'd just start, I'd, start, I'd seen someone rolling at my gym like I went to it was a real like spit and sawdust gym um and there was a couple of them like sparring there and they didn't really do jiu-jitsu. One of them was a black belt in judo, but they were just sparring just for fun. And then I was like, oh, I let this go. And I started, I had a roll with him. Um, and I realised that I could actually be quite good at it, you know. Like it was, he, he said the first thing, he was like, as we were rolling, he was like, I thought you said we had, you hadn't rolled before. And I was like, I haven't. <laughs> um, and then I contacted Sam, my coach, and this was all during like lockdown and... Uh, and said, like, you know, I'm interested in starting jiu-jitsu. I think it would be good fitness for, for my rugby because I was still interested in rugby. And then once I started that, I was like, I just enjoy doing this a lot more and uh, I just got to do what I enjoy doing. Um, the travelling fell through. I'd, I'd split up with my um, partner at the time and then um, so the, the travelling all fell through. And I just Where were you planning to go? Back to Spain. It wasn't, I wasn't really like it. I was planning to move there. Um, so I was, well, I was first going to do a... Um, a ski season in France, um, so that would have been um, from the November <coughs> through to April, and then I was going to move from there to Spain. I was going to go with my dog, and then um, it, it, it all it all fell through anyway, and I'd lost some money on that as, uh, anyway. Um, and then I'd, uh, the jiu-jitsu was there, and it was like it was all just perfect. It all just like fitting together and. Um, I was able to train jiu-jitsu like five, six days a week and my coach had given me like so much time, like he was, he'd given me like so many like free private lessons and just like, he just put a lot of energy into me and I, and I just stuck around, I really enjoyed, I love it. Yeah, I mean, uh, one of the, one of the things that, um, I don't know whether you listened to the one I did with Ed Ingemels, the second one, he's a, he's teaching Institute of Grappling in Hendon, he's a big Oh, the, the, yeah, yeah, I did watch yeah, that one. The, yes, yeah, yeah, I did. Yeah. Was, I don't know whether it was that one or the first one I did with him, but he was basically talking about rugby as as a actually not a bad approximation for sort of having a fight. Yeah, a fisticuffs, grabbing, pulling, throwing kind of fight. Yeah, because yeah. He was saying, you know, the, the 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 problem with a lot of martial arts, traditional martial arts, is that they're very kind of. Um, they're very rules based, and they're a lot of it is with a a, um, a partner who allows you to do what you're trying to do. You know, yeah, so they yeah. they throw a punch, you block it, and do this and that, and then a kick and whatever, and then they just stand there, and then you know it's it, it's it's that kind of um, sort of uh, uh, ineffective practice. Yeah, it's more like synchronized dancing, isn't it, in almost, a lot of ways. Yeah. yeah, whereas whereas he was saying, you know, if, if I if I put you against a, a, a high-level rugby player against an elite-level Aikido practitioner, who do you think would win a fight? Yeah. And it's not, it's, you don't have to even think about it. Yeah, You're like, yeah. this guy's going to plough through that guy, right? <laughs> you You're used to just smashing your body into someone else. Yeah. You know, and not even really. I mean, I, I never played rugby, but um, uh, from from watching it, not even really worrying about 
the actual impact or what's you're just trying to get to the ball yeah yeah so yeah, it's you, even you, that, more that kind of violent in that way that you're not you're not going and thinking right i need to get here so i can get underneath him so i can catch his no you're just trying to get to the ball yeah, yeah. or get across a line or, or whatever so I, I i think maybe i don't know i don't know whether you feel the your rugby experience is one of the things that allowed you maybe to to very quickly transition into that kind yeah. of jujitsu patterns of movement and the amount of sort of contact yeah the cut the con the, the contact definitely i i think that's something that i i hadn't really realized i'd sort of taken for granted when i started and i see now like when lots of other people start like a lot of people are really like weird with being so close you know like i i didn't i didn't ever have that like from the start i was just like yeah. game you know um but so yeah it's i don't know maybe 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 rugby attracts a certain type of person as well. I don't know. Like, I don't know which is the the cause. You know, if it's like if you develop that through rugby, or if you just get to it. Maybe I was able to get to a certain level at rugby just because I already had that. I'm not sure, but um, yeah, there's there's definitely parallels there. So, um, so you f- you found jujitsu at the gym, the yes. normal gym, yeah, yeah, and then and then how did you find a club from there? Um, so I, I just I just gone on Instagram or Facebook. I can't remember on Google, Facebook, whatever. I was just like searching jujitsu clubs, and um, I was I was just contacting the like. And this was I don't want to get him in trouble, but it's a pass it now anyway. So I was just contacting those clubs, but it was sort of during lockdown. So um, the gym then where where I was at, like they let me train because I had the thing, and it was all, like everyone's just like yeah. a bit sneaky. And then uh, my, co- my I said I messaged him, and I was like, Look, I'm not gonna say anything i was like but i have got this pass to say that i can train anyway and he was like yes yeah, sweet cool come down um and then that was like that was that really like I, I, and it's at the start he was I, th- I don't think like he really knew what to expect like for me like i'd been an amputee for a while before and like i knew that i'm game but i think that like, for him he was like not sure and uh and yeah, so that bit, would have been what like maybe six seven years along yeah him. yeah yeah that would have been yeah 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 yeah, like seven years years along, so I was like well adapted, you know. Like, yeah. you know and and I'd already then like sparred at, like at the gym, just rolling. Like, so I knew like sort of what to expect, to, sort of. Yeah. Um. So yeah, I think, and, and then like I, I think pretty quick he realised that I was, I was like game, and uh, actually I, I'd be able to, I could probably do something all right with it. Um. So yeah, he just he he, he was a tr- he was a tree surgeon. He had a, a company <laughs> called uh, SAS Stump Grinding, right? <laughs> and I didn't that, like some people are like sort of a bit weird about like what to call my stump. Like I've always just called it my stump, you know. And like there are some amputees that don't like like it called a stump, you know. Anyway, and um, I did find it weird with him because I kept like saying my stump, you know, like in those situations, and he would never refer to it as a stump. He'd like call it my other leg, or like th- th- he would say anything but stump. And then it, he'd message me on WhatsApp, and I just saw SAS stump grinding. And I <laughs> like now he's like, you know, now he knows I don't care. Like I've got a dark sense of humour as well, and I like joke about stuff. But I think <laughs> probably at the time he was a bit worried about. Yeah, what if he finds out my other <laughs> job? It's all going to go wrong. Stump grinding, yeah. So um, oh, that's quite funny. So. You, then you started training what, like five, six days a week? Well, yeah, that's I was a hooked from the gym. start. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So they, they well, they, it, I, I was quite fortunate too. They'd only started like a little bit before there, the jujitsu side of it. Um, like he hadn't, I don't know how 
long before it had only been like a matter of months that he'd like started his um jiu-jitsu there so it was like a really early early club um where, where is it? Which one? It's uh, well, it's at Kettles and Bruce and Halton Kirby, but it's um, Shackleton BJJ. Shackleton BJJ. Yeah, he's he he came from um, Carlson Gracie in Surrey, um, and yeah, just sort of started his own own thing there. So they they had, I can't remember when it, when it started. I think like maybe four days of the week, like there were classes, um, but he like from the offer just said like you know like he did he did like a lot of private classes and stuff and he would just get me into like just roll basically for an hour or whatever with him so from the start i'd had like one-to-one tuition with a like he's he's a really good black belt as well and and so i and i didn't realize just how lucky i was you know and then like you see you guys have a classes and like i'd be lucky to get a role with a black belt at, at different clubs at the time um yeah. or like especially like a lot of clubs you know that people don't want to roll with the spazzy white belt and yeah. and i was definitely like a spazzy white belt <laughs> so uh i i'd got a lot of like direct um training and and that that helps so much i think it like it gave me just a boost up straight into it early on yeah i mean you you you, you just don't develop all those bad habits and make all those stupid mistakes because there's someone there immediately to say listen you always want to put your hand under here rather than over there. Or yeah. You always want to get off of this hip or whatever it is. Yeah. So yeah, I mean, I, in 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 that sense, that's a, that's that's probably about as good as it can can get when you're when you're starting out. Yeah, yeah, and then obviously then that the other people at the club were like all very new as well. So it was like I had the the direct contrast. I didn't. I mean, it's obviously good to have belts all through the colours to roll, but for me, it was it was perfect. Like I'd learn it from him, and then I'd try it out on uh, the the new people, and yeah, uh, and it was it just worked. And were you training gi and no gi? No, I, <laughs> no, I only do uh, no. I did get so I, at the time they did gi and no gi, and then uh, I'd bought a gi. Um, I'd got it all altered and everything from a stump I'd gone and paid, and I, I wore it, and I was like, <laughs> I just didn't, I just didn't like really in, enjoy it as much. And I feel like a lot, especially for me, like I, I think a lot of the um, gee stuff, like it, it doesn't, it doesn't work for me because I'm a lot more um, like scramble based and stuff, and like I use the, the stump to the advantage. Yeah, but I felt like with, with the gee, they, I mean, I, I'm definitely up for trying it again, <laughs> but I feel that they could. They could just shut shut everything down a lot easier, and then like my advantages became disadvantages. Um, so yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll definitely go back to trying it, but eventually, anyway, the club just slowly turned into no gi, and no gi. now we just do no gi. So yeah, I mean, I think I think a lot of clubs kind of going in that direction because yeah. I think the the younger generation of of people who are coming in, so say from fifteen year olds upwards. No is kind of the thing now, right? It's yeah. kind of the cool thing because you've got the social media side of it. Yeah, yeah. The cool rash guards and 10th Planet and whatever, whatever. But also, I mean, you know, the, the, the kind of the crossover to MMA from from No Gi is much more realistic. Than, yeah. You know, obviously training in the Gi is helpful as well, but only to the point of when you take it off, you can move faster. Yeah, because you know if you're if you're learning a lot of patterns where you're gripping or using lapels or whatever, I mean, it's, it's pointless, right? Yeah, yeah. It doesn't really actually go anywhere once you come out of a of a gi. That's I, I think if if you enjoy it and that's your what I you want from only. it, then 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 I mean, that's, I, that's I, great. I love but training in the gi, but I, you know, I'm, I'm aware that it's they are 
almost now two different that's a, I, right? I th- I've compared this to p- with people before like to say it's like football and beach football you know like it's the it's very similar but there's there's still like vast yeah. differences and yeah. and for me like I've I'm not, I don't think I'm going to be able to get to a point where, you know, like I'm winning ADCC or anything, but I feel that I can actually get to a, a decent level, like relatively fast because of the time that I can put in and um, just like my dedication to it. And I think it, if I want to get good at no gi, I need to, to spend my time doing no gi as, like, as often as I can. Yeah. I think if it was a, a point where the club's doing gi as well and then you know it's going to be an after after the no gi class they're doing gi then i'd probably stick around because i think that you can still take stuff from it um but at the moment i'm able to put all my energy into no gi and Mm. and i really enjoy it so if it gets to a point where it's stagnating i'm getting a bit bored then i'm I'm up for trying something else but right now i i just love no gi so yeah it's it's fascinating to me because when i when i my my wife found your instagram page and she was like you need to have a look at this guy's instagram (laughs) she every day she's saying oh you don't you don't look at instagram and you don't have a look at this one i was like all right here we go another one and then i looked at it and i was like well like you're competing right yeah yeah quite a lot and uh i was like okay i need to i need to actually have a look at this and then i was i was kind of thinking like is it i i i don't know i don't know what your experience of it is actually let me let me take one step back so first of all i looked at it and i thought you must have been at a reasonably high level before you had an accident and then you just kind of carried on doing it and used it you know to to rehab and etc and then i was like no you didn't even train before yeah. this was learned only afterwards yeah yeah which which kind of i suppose thinking about it actually more deeply it makes just as much sense to do it that way because if if lots of things or you have big changes in life then why not be doing a new sport i mean is that kind of actually does make sense but then i was kind of thinking like particularly with the no gi like you like you kind of said already that if you are not used to training with somebody who has a who has a completely difficult uh, different physical makeup you lose a lot of your reference points 100% you know because i was kind of thinking like quite often i would like to to get to i don't know like some kind of half guard or whatever but if I'm on your wrong side, there's no half guard. Yeah, you're not getting half guard there. No, no. And then I'm thinking, okay, so if I'm playing close guard, basically I'm sort of controlling your hips and the top of your legs, right? Yeah, yeah. But if one side I can't control, there's no close guard. Yeah. You just, you know, I'm sure you are used to dealing with everyone else closing their guard, right? So you're yeah, like, yeah. well, I just put one hand here, I'll, put, I'll turn my hips that way and then I'll go. And I'm yeah, out. yeah. And... I suppose, especially for competition, like I guess the guys you train with, they they start to learn your game and then it becomes more competitive. But when you compete and you go with somebody who A, goes, fuck, this guy's only got one leg. Yeah. And then goes, well, that's fine. I'm going to, oh shit, that don't work. Yeah, exactly. I'm going to go to, oh, that don't work either. And the, the things that I think that people assume would be like a disadvantage on isn't usually for example i'm probably gonna like fuck myself over in competition yeah, don't, now don't tell your, keep keep like the 10 percent. yeah super I think, to be honest I, don't, I always say this anyway i don't mind too much because I, I sort of want people to figure me out in a way because that 
it sounds really corny, but that develops my game more than anything. So at the point like now, when I approach competitions, it's I, I, until I'm winning at black belt, I don't or, or like beating at the the best person in the room at that weight. I don't really care. Like everything until then is just going to be like a learning curve. But so like one example is people always assume they'll pass on that side of me because there's nothing there to stop. But I can instantly regain my guard that side. Like even if they're in side control there, like it's I just dig my stump in and just turn around. Yeah. Um, so then, then I've got them in my closed guards or my version of closed guards and then I, that's where I've got a lot of attacks from. So they've, they've essentially just walked themselves into, into a problem. Yeah. Whereas passing on the other side is actually more difficult for me to defend against. Um, so the, that, yeah. I think... On the, on the fly, I mean, you just go, I'm going to pass that way. Yeah, exactly. And Even if, if you know I should pass that way, it's like, this is a... This is a pain in the ass on this side I'll, I'll pass that way yeah and yeah you still put yourself in those bad positions exactly and there's there's just a lot of like there's there's so many little bits for it that i that i've found to use as, as my advantage um and you hit the nail on the head like everyone in my training room it's it's very different because they're, they they're know, all very right? used to rolling with me and i i i found that the more experienced someone is almost the more that they struggle in a way because they, they've had that many more thousand hours of rolling with someone with two legs yeah so their brain is just like automatic you know like everything's just um subconscious but it doesn't you, I, I didn't notice it sometimes at the time but and i look back at videos like and stuff with me rolling like the amount of times people someone will like try to hook that leg or, like there yeah. and there's nothing there for them to i mean i'm even like thinking in my head you know the positions that i often end up in because like you say a lot of it is unconscious so you have to actually go back and think like, what what do I do a lot that would be a problem? And I, I like often uh, passing on, I'm terrible with my rights and lefts, but on your right side and hooking your left leg to stop you kind of bridging and turning. Uh, yeah. It's not there, right? Yeah, that's 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 a point. I'm, I'm very good at um, inverting and stuff because it, it's sort of like, a, I've explained something before, like if you've got a piece of wood on the wall, if you put two, a screw in either side, you can't you can't twist it at all. But you just put one screw in, and then you can twist it around. So because they can't control the other leg for the most part, it's really easy for me to just twist. Yeah. Whereas like a lot of positions when you're on top of someone, as soon as they start turning, then you can just get an underhook on the leg, or they can't they can't do that to me. So like like on on lots of leg locks and everything, I'm able to just like rotate a lot of the time to work myself out of positions where other people aren't. Yeah, it's fascinating. It's fascinating. So as far as your training then, how did, I'm assuming you have had some quite in-depth conversations with your instructor about, because I guess he has to really understand every technique now even better than he thought he did yeah. to be able to translate it a little bit yeah, for yeah. you. So how, how, how has your training looked different? Um, from in inverted commas like normal classes, yeah, yeah. And how's how's the instruction different? You know, did, did, will they will he sort of say like, this is the standard way of doing it, and this you would kind of adjust it this way, or have you do you have to kind of figure out? The we'll, we'll generally figure it out like uh, either then the person that I'm drilling with, um, and then like Sam will come over and sort of give some input, um, or. I mean, there's some things. Uh, he, Sam won't like teach, and like, I wouldn't want him to, or anywhere that I go, like to teach a different class just to cater for me. You know, like I can always find something to do or some some sort of 
info that I can take from that that can help. But there are some moves, and I, I think this is a problem that I see uh, other amputees, like personally, I think the problem that people, they, they do is they try to do jiu-jitsu with two legs with one leg, and that doesn't that doesn't work. You have to completely change your game. So there's some move like triangles and stuff, for example, like I can do variations of it that sort of work, but ultimately like that's not going to be my game because I can't do them and like just trying to make something work just for the sake of it, it's like it's just pointless. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I just put my energy into the things that do work and to get very good at those, um, and then like forget some other things. So if, for example, there's a a drill that we're doing and it's triangles or something and it doesn't work, then I'll just, when it's my turn to drill, I'll just drill something, like a variation of that that does work for me. Um, and yeah, we've got, we've like collectively, you know, like the whole team, like Sam, myself and everyone else, like we've got better at figuring out what does work over time. So, you know, it's, we don't spend so long figuring it out. Like I know my limitations of, of what I can or can't do and we just figure it out from there. And, um, you so did you start early 20 2020 yes that, that was uh, kind of beginning of lockdown then right oh i didn't know was that 20 was like april march 2023 no 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 2021 i started i started in april 2021 it would have been so two years yeah two yeah just over two years and and, and how quickly did you start competing or or make the decision i want to compete Three months. I think I had three or four months. I had my first competition. Um, I've I've always just been a bit like that. I didn't even realise it was a thing that the whole team and everything's going to go. I just messaged Sam and was like, "I've signed up for this competition in Brighton," and he was like, "What?" Um, and and like Sam's like really like of that nature too. Like he just supports me. Like just get behind it. So um, I did the first competition. I I lost on points. I've I've never I've still never been submitted or anything in a competition. Um, not that I, I mean, I'm sure it's going to happen at some point. I don't like it. It's just something that to me, I'm like, it gives me a bit of confidence, I guess. But um, yeah, then I just just did compete. So if, yeah, from four months in, I was competing. And so, do you know? Are you are you quite active? Com competing? Not, not super. I, I, at the at the start, I'd done quite a few, and then um, now I, it's just that you know, it's just like the the costs to the reward for me it's not it's not as much I, I go and do a lot of open mats at different gyms and stuff so I'm, I'm constantly training with other people and in a lot of ways the competitions as it would just feel like it's just glorified sparring you know like you get your medal and you everything, pay for your medal right? yeah, yeah yeah exactly like it's, it is nice to do and and it's like it's nice to stand on the podium and everything but I sort of feel like I I know I know where my level's at um so like every so often I'll I'll do a competition and it's fun, but I just sort of begrudge paying. Like the last it's like night. Uh, fortunately, actually, um, com company paid for it. Soul Taker had paid for it, but I sort of begrudge like pay like ninety quid and then for for some. I'd, I'd rather yeah. spend the ninety quid on something else a lot of the times, you know. Yeah, I mean, I I, I normally try and do English Open. Yeah, and then I've done. I think I've done twice the Euros. I'm going to try and do it next year. Yeah, nice. but yeah, the smaller ones. I mean, same. I don't. I don't really bothered and i mean for me as well because i'm 50 i'm under 70 kilos there's no one to fight right yeah like even at the english open i think the last two years i had to go down an age division because oh, there was yeah. literally no one to fight yeah, euros yeah. usually there's like three or four people in that giant you know if I, you look at like blue belt adult 
70 kilos or whatever, it's like 90 people fighting. Not that I want to fight 90 people, yeah, but yeah. You know, and I look in mine, there's like three people, four people. Someone didn't turn up as well, you know. And so, the, the, you know, the, there's no point really for me doing a lot of the smaller competitions anyway. Yeah. But I think, you know, for me, probably differently for you, for me, I, I like to do a competition here and there just to see if I still got the bottle to go and do one. Yeah. You know, yeah, am yeah. I going to get too stressed? Can I actually remember what I'm doing? You know, fight someone that you don't know. It's, that's all quite fun, isn't it? Like yeah. the adrenaline yeah. and everything. Yeah, from so it, I want to yeah. I wanna, I wanna just keep trying to do them, you know, on a, some kind of regular basis just to say, like, can you actually turn up and perform on the day? Not, oh, we didn't sleep well last night, I just didn't have a good training session. That's fine, right? You're going to train again tomorrow. Yeah. But comp is like, no, you just lost. Yeah, like, yeah. You know, yeah, no, I, no I, I do. Like, I do definitely enjoy it. Like, if, I think if I don't know if I had a lot more money or the, it, it was more like I don't know. The, the, again, like you say, like more competitors and stuff. I think I'd be more inclined to. And so, what what weight class do you fight in? Yeah, that's a that's an interesting. So the last one I did at sixty six. Um, and so, so if you were with two legs, what 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 do you think you would weigh? It would be another about ten kilo or so. So you'd be like that, sort of seventy-five yeah. to eighty. Yeah, yeah, and around, I cut I'd like there. so that seventy-six, uh, that sixty-six. I came, I come down from seventy generally. So I normally, I'm normally about seventy. I'm a bit under at the moment because I'm, I've got a, I've, I've just agreed to an MMA fight in October, so I'm getting to um, sixty or sixty-two for that. Um, but that generally I'll be around seventy, and then I cut a bit for the jiu-jitsu comp. So and then. By the time I like rehydrate, I'm back on the mat. I'm normally like 68 or something, and then plus the 10 kilos. So they're they're sort of going against someone with the strength of 78 kilos. Yeah, and then yeah, 66. Yeah. So, so actually, quite um, quite interesting. It's no like it's noticeable. That's like one of the big advantages for me, and that's why like I do definitely make the most of it. Like by doing that like, to cut weight and everything, like because. Uh, I sort of feel like with any sport, like if you want to be successful at any sport, you really need to like hone in on your advantages. And for me, like that's a huge advantage to have that weight difference over someone effectively. Um, and I can really feel it when, when we grapple, you know, and everyone says it. I know it's sort of like a muggy comment in jiu-jitsu sometimes, and they're like, you're so strong. But to me, yeah, I don't mind. Like, every, every person I roll against at a competition comes after and they're like, oh my God, you're so strong. But it's because I've got that... Yeah. That... Um, but I guess you're rolling with guys that are legit 75, 80 kilos as well. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, God, yeah, like yeah. at the gym, like roll with people big, bigger than that as yeah, well. Like, yeah. I, um, I, yeah. I enjoy but it. I guess through doing, you know, a lot of sport, playing rugby, hockey, all that sort of stuff, you know, you build a lot of tendon strength and joint strength and whatever. Yeah, so. and just like food, like being full time on the crutches and stuff, like, um, yeah. For, for my, even the weight higher, like, I, I think, um, like uh, like trying to sound big headed, but I think like people like eighty five kilo or something. Generally, that's I think where about my strength is. Um, like uh, I match match people at that that weight for strength. So so and did you did you notice then a sort of a change in your physique through being on crutches? Um, has that has that changed the way your upper body looks? Let's say I I think probably in a way yes. I I think that probably like. It's like uh, you know, like farmer strength. I think that sort of gave gave me that. I I was like really scrawny until, um, 
probably 2018 or something. I, like, I, I was really, like, I could, I'll show you some um, pictures if you want. I was, like, really sort of, like, malnourished, you know. And then what had happened, I was playing, uh, when I was playing wheelchair rugby at the time, I'd got into the England team and then I missed the, the I, I didn't get cut the, make the team for the fr for a France game. And I was, like, absolutely devastated by it. And I was, like, I've got to do, I've got to change my life. Like, it's no good just, like, eating shit all the time and, like, not training for the rugby. Like, I just sort of took it for a for granted that I was like skillful at it, you know. Um, so then I like really put in my effort into to training, and I put on like a I don't know. I'd gone from I was probably like I probably put on about ten kilos or so, like just muscle. Um, do you want? I can show you this. Yeah, you can. You can. Uh, you can send me some as well, and I'll I'll throw yeah, up on yeah, the, brilliant, on the yeah, YouTube yeah, video. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll do that after actually. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Send me send me them over. So if you guys are if you guys are watching, they'll be you'll be seeing them on your on your screen. And if you're listening, go to my Instagram, and I'll put them up on the Instagram. Um, so what? So what did your like sort of gym and weight training and whatever look like when you when you put on that ten kilos? And and now, if you're still yeah, so, so, so now I've probably lost, now I'm probably about six or seven kilo less than where, where I got to, like I'm somewhere in between, but I'm a lot more lean now. Um, so the the training before, because the wheelchair rugby, like the, by the, the nature of it, like it was really difficult to be able to like meet up every day and stuff to, to train. So most of the training was by yourself and then at the weekend you would get together as a team. Um so most of my training was just in the gym, like just working on, um, like improving my my physical attributes, I guess, um, and then everything else at home, like with the ball and and like, I'd sit in the car. I'd, I'd just become obsessed. Like when I when I want something, I'd sit in the garage for hours just throwing the ball against the wall, boom, 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 just because I knew it would help improve my passing and like all those little bits. So um, now I don't actually I don't train as much gym anymore. Um, like it, it comes and goes. I, I get a lot of but the, the issues. I get I, my, my shoulders are like shot to pieces, um, and I, I find like push push sessions at the gym just like obliterate my shoulders, and then I'm in bits for days. So it's not really um, beneficial. So it, I lose. Is that from the accident or from sport or from yeah, the from crutches? both? Yeah. So that uh, I think it's like a, an accumulation of everything. Like my left shoulder is a lot worse, and that was the one that I damaged really badly in the accident. And then my right shoulder is now probably it feels like it's like a year behind the the left shoulder. It's just sort of slowly like just like <laughs> falling to bits. But mm. um, I'm, I hopefully I like I've had a lot of problems getting the left one sorted because of the metal work in it. They can't MRI it. Um, apparently it just shows up as black so like i've i've had like x-rays ultrasounds um I, i'm liking the whole process of it at the moment so i think probably i mean if there is a pro problem i'll wait until next year to have any surgery or anything but they, they say it's a, a suspected torn labrum or labrum i don't know how to pronounce it but um in the shoulder blade so yeah i mean potentially sort of cost prohibitive but um apparently stem cells for those kinds of injuries are amazing yeah. do, do you listen to rogan yeah podcast? sometimes not that much i'm not like a diehard but i do listen to him yeah so he he had uh i think he had a labrum full tear like he couldn't move his arm properly and uh he went and had he's talked about it a few times he went and had i think maybe like two or three courses of stem cells and he said, "It's they basically they, the doctor said to him like you you got to have surgery on this like you you know it's, you're just going to be 
broken if you don't. And he didn't want to have surgery. He, I think he's done two or three rounds of stem cells. And he said, it's even the, the surgeon said to him, like, you, you can't tell that there's just ever been anything wrong with it. Really? And he, and I'm sure he said now he's, he's dumbbell pressing 90 pound dumbbells for reps, no pain, just perfect form. Yeah, just he said, just I'll com- have a look at that. Completely yeah, healed. So I think I, I don't know whether you can get it done in the UK so much. I know Germany, there's a big um, kind of area of, of expertise over there because I think Dana White went and had, he used to he used to have really bad tinnitus. Yeah, I've got that at the moment. In this yeah, way, I get yeah. a bit of tinnitus, but um, I don't know. I mean, again, I don't know how much UFC you watch, but if you watch some of the older press conferences from probably about seven, eight, nine years ago, sometimes he would be standing there and they'd be asking him questions and he'd just be like, yeah. You know, trying to answer and then you just say, like, I'm done, I'm, I'm go. And it was like, oh, Dana weren't in. He didn't, obviously didn't enjoy it tonight very much, but it's, he had such bad tinnitus and, and um, vertigo, he couldn't even stand up. He couldn't <sighs> even sort of move. So we'll try to do the press conference, just standing still for like six minutes and then walk off. I, but I think the same thing. I think he had stem cells and that... Um, that blood spinning thing where they take out blood, oh, they I've spin it, they that, take yeah. the proteins and stuff out and put them back. Yeah, yeah. Completely gone. Yeah, completely gone. So, I mean, oh. uh, I, I, you know, obviously I'm not a doctor, don't, don't really know an awful lot about it, but, you know, from, from listening to quite a few people now here and there on podcasts and YouTube videos and stuff, speaking about stem cells and these kinds of therapies, yeah. I think with a lot of these soft, tissue injuries like apparently it's really amazing for discs as well herniated discs and stuff because I, I did my disc in the bottom of my back and it took me took about five years to heal up and it's still it's not brilliant but I mean it was I couldn't I had the like six months where I couldn't do anything I couldn't walk I couldn't sleep I couldn't stand up I couldn't sit down I just got on with things but like I would have to move like every three minutes. Like if I'm sitting at work and I'm talking to someone, you know, I'd have to then oh, like God, do that. Yeah. And I was, and it, you know, it's it's not anything like your experience in in the hospital. But I was convinced that someone had fucked my stool up, and that it was wobbly, because like I I would sit on it and I would I would just be like really unstable. And I'd and I was asking the other guys in the other rooms like, is your because <laughs> they, they we had chairs and then they gave us these stools and I was like bro these stools are fucked up right and they were like no they're alright and I'm like what about you Is this, how's your stool let me can we swap them and I, I try them and then I realised right it was just because my back was wow. so unstable my, like my hips and that my still upper, probably helped you a lot I guess that in the long run probably helped you a lot <laughs> well no it was bad oh, but, right. but, but um, you know I was kind of convinced that someone had given me a shonky chair <laughs> But but yeah, for, for, for discs as well, because there's no like blood supply. So it takes like forever for it to heal because there's kind of no circulation. Um, I think as well, that's why like tendons and ligaments and stuff take ages to heal because the yeah. circulation is terrible. But apparently you just shoot some stem cells in there and they're like, oh, oh we're supposed to turn into a muscle. Sweet. Okay, let's let's do that. So, yeah, I mean, I, don't, I haven't even looked at the costs. I don't know whether you're talking about a couple of thousand or a couple of hundred thousand. I don't yeah. have no idea. But, <laughs> yeah, you yeah. Know, I, don't, I don't know. I've, not, yeah. I've, I've definitely looked into that. Worth doing a bit of research on. 
Um, and so you are you sponsored now by Soul Taker? No, they um. <laughs> oh, okay, we can't have me out. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm not. They, they they sponsored me for for just one event. Um, right. I don't know what the uh, X Marshall sponsored me, but it's sort of like a loose. Like the sponsorship sort of based on how much you you promote for them, like right. as to how much you get. It's like I like the deal to be fair because it's not um, you're not like obligated to put. I, I only post on social media just sort of a like to because it helps with like sponsorships and stuff. But um, B is it's again it sounds really corny, but I, I started to really enjoy the the amount of messages that I get from from people like that. Have, that have told and like situations like this that it's got me in like they, they've told me like you know i didn't feel up for training this week or other amputees that had never been doing any sport and decided like realized that they could do it um i had a really lovely one uh from a, a lady from this was for, for a facebook post that she contacted me and her son's an amputee um i can't remember how old he is like six or seven or something he's only young and he was doing jiu-jitsu but he would only do the he would only do one-to-one classes because he was really self-conscious about his leg. And apparently, like, he'd been watching my Instagram and everything, and now he started training with all the other kids, and he just got his first stripe, um, I oh, think this amazing. was last week or something, and his mum messaged me on Facebook, to, like, sent me a picture and saying he wanted to send this photo of you, and it's him with his the first stripe on his belt, and, like, stuff like that, like, really, like... Beautiful. That, that, yeah, that, like, that, that's been, like, an unexpected side effect of it that I didn't realise just how many people, like... It, it helps motivate them. So yeah, I mean, I think you know we've we've done quite a few episodes, either directly on or in a roundabout sort of way on like mental health and anxiety and this, that, and the other. And I think so many people suffer with um, hidden disabilities. You yeah, know, men- mental health stuff, anxiety stuff. I've had loads of of problems of with anxiety and panic attacks and all, all that sort of side of things. And I think, you know, it is, um, you know, when, like, when I saw your, your just the pictures up on your Instagram, and I don't know, what you, you're going to fight MMA soon? Have yeah, you, in you October. Done some, in October. Some? I've done, so I did, uh, it was a, a grapple and strike fight, that one, classed as. Because um, I see the pictures and I'm so like. Much. It was like four ounce gloves and everything. Like it was. Yeah, but I'm like, I, I kind of, I, all right, the, the jujitsu side of stuff I get, and then I'm like. Like, how the fuck do you fight, <laughs> like, stand-up? Yeah, yeah. Just, now, that, so that one was just, like, putting guard essentially. But that's, that's what I'll be doing in the cage fight. I'll just pull guard or, I don't want to give away too much, but, like, working against the cage. When, when, is, when is that fight going to be? Uh, that will be, I think it's the 5th of October. It's the 5th oh, okay. or the 8th yeah, of this October. This will come out before that, yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'll, I'll call, man. Yeah, I'll put, I'll, like, once I've got all the, like, further details i'll like post everything once it's all like written in stone but it, sh- it will be yeah but i mean I, I you know i kind of i kind of looked through like the the pictures and stuff and and i think like jesus you know not not to belittle some of the challenges that other people have but there's i don't feel great and there's i got hit by three vehicles <laughs> and fucking lost my leg and i'm still going after it it's quite sort of motivating, <laughs> it's, you know. It's you. It, it's it's quite empowering, I think, to see. You know, everybody. I don't, I don't know. Whether everybody loves. I love always hearing like these stories of people where they've had some kind of setback or something's happened to them, or they've gone through something that you think, how can you even go through that? 
and then they come out the other side and they're doing amazing things and you just kind of feel like uplifted yeah yeah yeah, yeah. It's, it's 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 nice. it's amazing to be able to and i mean social media for all it's it's good and bad and whatever i mean it allows you really to connect with the whole world right yeah there's a lot of positives from that i think from social media like that's that's something incredible like, i think you'd never really get your i guess you sort of eventually get your name out in a sense but i think like people but, but still be in a, in a limited it. way right only the people who read the daily mail every single day because it was only in there once and yeah then you got an award for something but only people that watch bbc2 saw it and you know social media is pretty much like anyone who's thinking bjj or amputee or disabilities or it's there yeah. You just need a phone or a laptop or a tablet or, or whatever. Yeah. And you can and you can kind of uh connect up. I know, I get a lot of amputees contacts me like about do. wanting to start jiu-jitsu and like a lot of uh, there's been like a fair few of amputees that have started because, I don't know if like because of me or they've been interested and then searched for me and then Have you but, have you thought about helped. doing like a some kind of meet up like that thing they had at Stoke Mandeville? Yeah, I d- should, I mean, I, I, there, there is like a, a, a para um, jiu-jitsu team that's, um, I, I think they're mostly gi anyway, but um, I'd, I'd definitely be up for that. And like I, I've said to the, the lady with the, the kid that I'm up for, like coming along and like, I'll do like a private session with him and show him some like stuff that's very like particular to amputees, you know, that can that can help his game. But um, yeah, I mean, I, I, I do get a certain kick out of like competing against, able-bodied people and it's it's it, i did disability sport for like or, or that wheelchair sport for like a long time and stuff in it but there's there's something like super rewarding like fucking someone up that's like completely able-bodied you know there's uh, and, and i think that that's a lot where people get their that inspiration or motivation from because it's yeah it's that. and I, I think sometimes like if i go too far down the avenue of it just being like disabled jiu-jitsu or something i think that that takes a lot of the, the yeah, bite out sure. of it i mean i'm i'm, I'm not I, i'm thinking more just around um letting people see that well maybe maybe to say it this way that that everybody can benefit from the power of jiu-jitsu yeah and there's a lot of people, you will know better than me, who will make an excuse for themselves why they can't do it. Mm-hmm. So either I'm too fat or I'm too whatever or I've lost a limb or I'm too depressed or I don't have the money or whatever it is. You know, everybody will, will, will have these barriers that are kind of stopping them from being able to experience the power of jiu-jitsu. Um, so I was, you know, I was thinking more around just facilitating people to be able to see, not just you can do it, but you can do it to a high level. You can do it against able-bodied people, and there's a lot of us. Yeah, yeah. It's like a thing. It's yeah, not yeah. like a, you could do it, but you've got to be a certain personality type of, I don't give a fuck, I'm going to go anyway. I will adapt the techniques for myself. Because a lot of people will be not athletic. Yeah. You know, like there's a, there's a, um, there's a, to go on a little bit on, on a tangent. I don't know whether you've seen, it's quite a well, it's got like millions of views. This uh, American college sport, it's on a football field and he's got a load of kids lined up 
and he he says um, like we're all going to race. Uh, yeah, and yeah. If you've, if you've got both parents, take one step forward. If you blah blah blah, so you, you it's kind of a an obvious um, kind of illustration of what the kind of social privilege is, how they get you ahead. Yeah, and yeah. Then, so some of these kids only have to run. 20 meters and the kids at the back who've got no advantages have to run 100 meters uh-huh. and then he kind of says um like uh you, you you kids that won all of these dudes at the back would have smoked you if you were on an evil even footing and i was always thinking like i could i can definitely be quite near the back so like my parents got divorced my dad died when i was quite young not i'm not it's not playing a violin but I'm not really athletic either. Yeah. So I'm like, well, I would have been near the back and I can't really run. <laughs> so I would have kind of got fucked over both ways. Yeah, yeah. But, you know, I'm, I'm kind of thinking more in my in my rambling way of trying to illustrate it. Just, you know, some some people will have a, a barrier that's stopping them training and they're not a natural athlete. Yeah. And they're not naturally competitive. They don't have a history of playing sports or, or whatever. And, I, and I, I'm just thinking maybe for those people... They're the ones who go. You know what? Actually, this there's like a community here. There's something I can do. There's something where there's other people that I can kind of hang out with. Yeah. Um, yeah. No, it would be cool. Definitely, uh, it'd be nice. I really want to roll with someone else that's an above me amputee to yeah, experience you, the problems. Your game might not work. No, exactly. Suddenly yeah. You're like shit. All that stuff that I've <laughs> developed. Now, I've, now I can see what everyone else struggles yeah. with. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, but that's that's the that's one of the beautiful things of jujitsu, right? Is the puzzle is that kind of constant trying to move these little pieces and figure out these little problems. And, yeah, and and you know, we we've again we've talked about it a lot on the, on the show, but I I think you know, sort of to to jujitsu specifically, you've got um, you've got a number of benefits for. Which I think everybody who kind of gets into jujitsu, they all kind of go, well, yeah, of course, you know, it's all sort of quite self-explanatory. But, you know, you've obviously got the community side of things, so you kind of have an extended family around you. You've got something that you're learning, so it's good for your brain and sort of very active there. You've got the, the physical workout. You've got the sweat, which is a detox. You've got the physical contact with people, which a lot of people, they don't have. They work at home or they not in a relationship or whatever they don't really touch people very much you've got the grounding where you're discharging all the static from your body because of the being on the mat and rolling and all of that kind of stuff and you know i'm I'm obviously i love jujitsu so i'm kind of like everyone should should kind of be able to do jujitsu but you know a lot of people do have significant barriers to being able to come whether it's just anxiety problems or whether it's a physical disability yeah but you know, I think it's I think it's important for us in inverted commas to to make it as accommodating and as accessible as I possible ser- for I as many think people. That's a good. That's something that I want to explore a bit more, like helping clubs be more accessible to. You know, uh, there, there's some there's some disabilities that would that would make it extremely difficult to to be competitive at jiu-jitsu if that's your if that's what you want to do. You know, but. To be competitive against someone else that's in your, in the same like as they do at like a, at like Paralympics and everything, you know, it's like people to put into brackets. But I think a lot is just sort of the, like I feel awkward sometimes. But if I, like I'll do classes at different clubs and stuff sometimes, and like the the biggest boundary for me is like 
I feel awkward sometimes, like, you know, like a, a warm up or something, and they they got people running around. Like I used to when I started, just like trying like hop and just do something that would like similar. But like I get a bad ankle and everything from like hopping, and I just realised that like, I'm just doing stuff just to to try and fit in because that's like what's expected, and and just because I feel awkward if I don't. Um, and and like now I've just started. To, I'll just sit and stretch or do something else. Like I'm not. I'm not doing it to like. I'm not doing it to be rebellious. And I've managed to like realize that other people aren't thinking that either. Like that other people aren't expecting me to just like hop around and do stuff. So, but I think they're the the boundaries when you start. That I think for for disabled people and like like I've always been super confident. So I know that if it's something that I've been a bit anxious about, like other people that aren't as confident are definitely going to be really anxious about it. Yeah. Um, so I, I think just sort of making people feel more comfortable that it's you know it's not going to be like that and that you know that if we're doing drills that are like stand up and arm drags and stuff like i'm quite happy to just sit down for a minute and do something else or like sit and watch like it's not a problem but um i think taking that awkwardness away from people and then just making it work around their disability i think is sort of more important yeah because you you do want to be able to see that there are other people that are just getting on with it and just tailor it to, to, to you know how it works for them, and you know even even in the in the same way you know you'll have like maybe you got some people at, at your club or at certain clubs who they will turn down a role from certain people, and you're like mm, they're, they're kind of part timers don't really train hard, but they've probably got a reason why they're saying I you know I don't feel comfortable or it's too heavy or got injured or whatever. You know, and, and and I think you know there is there is often a little bit of a stigma attached to not doing everything that's happening in the class. Yeah. But you know, fundamentally, you're you know, is this kind of cliched old saying of charity begins at home, right? Your your primary responsibility is to yourself. Yeah. Like you've got to make yourself as effective and solid and useful and grounded as you can be then you can help other people yeah if you can't if you're not able to look after yourself you're you you're just relying on other people to look after you so you know being able to sit out of certain things or not do certain things or do certain things differently or whatever you know i think i think in not to disrupt everybody's jujitsu classes but that's probably to be encouraged you know yeah. to a to a degree but yeah, I mean, coming in, coming into a jiu-jitsu club with two arms and two legs is hard enough. Yeah. I remember when I started, when I when I first was going to go to Mill Hill, I, I I don't know whether I went once or twice and like parked up outside and then just went home. Really? Yeah, because it was the no gi class before the gi class, and I'd already started training at an, another satellite club, smaller club with ed and i'd asked ed ed is there any like any other nights of the week anywhere else i can train and he said i'll go to mill hill there's classes every night and uh, so i think i went down there on a whenever it was it went monday wednesday and the no gi class was before the gi class I, w- I went to go to the gi class and um it was a big it was a big busy club it, dan strauss was teaching the no gi okay yeah um and there was probably on the no gi on a busy night there was probably like i don't know maybe like 50 60 guys on the Jesus mat Christ, yeah. and you know like like lumps yeah, yeah. <laughs> and i was and i sort of parked up and then just see all these guys just coming out you know <laughs> no tops on muscles everywhere fucking chewed up ears <laughs> noses whatever because you know there was a few mma guys that would sort of train with dan as well 
I remember just thinking, like, fuck off, I'm going home. <laughs> <laughs> just try <laughs> home again. All right, okay. I'm going to yeah. build myself up to going on Thursday now. See if I can, see if I can get in there. I think defi- definitely finding the, the right club. Like, I, 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 and I don't think that all jiu-jitsu clubs should be the same mentality. Like, my, mine works for me, like, because my coach is super, super laid back. Like, I'm notorious for being late and, like, just, you know, like, I'll sit out of, like, certain drills and stuff or, like, but he's, he's at the same mentality as me, you know, like, I'm, I'm paying for it. Like, I'm, do, I'm going to pay it for my pleasure. So, like, for me, if it's something that I really don't enjoy doing of a certain part of it, like, I'm paying for it. Why am I doing it? And yeah. like, I get like, and I don't have that. Like, you know, if I go to another club, like, I don't. I'm not saying like I'm just going to sit there and go, well, "Fuck you, I'm paying." Like, yeah, but I will not go to certain gyms because I, I don't. I don't enjoy it as much, yeah. you know. But like, there's other people that really enjoy that aspect of it, and like, that's absolutely fine. But I think there there is jujitsu for everyone, you yes. know. Like, not everyone wants to be doing no gi and going like 100 percent and uh, and like. Or or wanting to compete at a high level or doing whatever else. Some some people like really do just like there's some people that will come and train just once a week and and that's enough for them. They enjoy it and that's that's cool. Right. So I think you just need to find the the right club or the right environment for you um, that, that caters for for as much as what you enjoy as you can. Yeah. And so you're gonna fight. Uh, MMA fight. Have yes. you, you've done a you've done an MMA before. Yeah, well, did uh, that one? That one was classed as grapple and strike, which essentially was you're only allowed to strike once you're grounded. Um, so kind of a bit like that slap jujitsu type of concept. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know what the um, combat jujitsu combat jujitsu uh, what the exact rule sets are if you can slap from standing or not or what that is. But this was this was like still full strikes. It was four ounce gloves. Um, that it was just striking on only on the ground. The one in October would be like full MMA rules. That would be like semi pro MMA. Everywhere. Yeah, yeah. Wow. So what made you decide to do it? Um, I like I just I just love it. Like, I love the rush anyway. Um, and I guess I've just not. I don't know, like with the injuries of thing else, I hadn't been really been like hunting for a fight. But then my coach messaged me and said, "There's a." organization from up north um that, that are going to do a show down here and they're looking for people on it that do you want to have a bjj match in a cage and i was like yeah that's sweet i said um i said i'll be up for combat jiu-jitsu if, if they're game for it and then he said oh well it's an mma show so i'm sure they will be and i was like fucking get me a fight then <laughs> let's do a mma instead and then he was like sweet cool so he's just and so how much i mean obviously you're 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 saying like you're strategy will be to pull guard mm-hmm. but how much striking training are you doing and what how how's, how has it differed if it's differed from your normal training getting ready for this so for for this i literally felt like agreed to this two days ago like this had come up so um and i've i've got i'm on antibiotics and i've got an infection on my uh stomach it's a don't it's not staph or anything it's, it's a, a cyst <clears throat> so I'm on antibiotics and I, I go to Italy tomorrow so uh, just for four days so I've not been training but as soon as I'm back to training um, I train with just the gloves on like every round I do I have gloves on not necessarily not everyone wants to be punched like I, I wouldn't be smashing them hard anyway but like some people just don't want it but I, I always would just give gloves to whoever else and most people enjoy it I can say, say like you punch me as hard as you want or like do striking and then um, so, it so helps me. really, still just grappling focus, just, but just, just with, with the gloves and thinking about the 
Yeah, yeah, just because it, like jiu-jitsu, jiu-jitsu, if you try and do like sport jiu-jitsu in MMA, like you're going to get your face smashed in. But jiu-jitsu works very well in MMA, but you've just got to use use the right jiu-jitsu. So, so just making sure that my focus is on that. Um, I will be doing like specific striking training with Alan Kettle, um, who's like phenomenal, um, like a really good coach. He, he like coached Haggerty and stuff like Jonathan Haggerty. He like he still trains at the gym sometimes. So um, he's he's like really good um, striking coach. So like I'll, I'll still be doing some striking training, and then um, I, I want to do like a lot of like Thai clinch work with him as well um, because. It, any like stand up striking that like, I'm gonna try and keep against the cage ideally because obviously they're, otherwise they're just gonna shoot, like leg kick me and I'm fucking yeah. <laughs> fucked. But yeah. um, so like, I I just I, I just need to develop a, a strategy for that. But I've I've not exactly come up with it exactly yet. But um, I will. <laughs> and it, well, I mean like to, in theory anyway. Like if if I pull like my my takedowns on the ground. Are, like it always surprises people. Like they they always think that people aren't used to wrestling with someone that's like too far yeah, off the ground. You've got a couple of video clips on your Insta, right? Yeah, yeah. That yeah. majority of jujitsu competitions, I would take them down. It, it counts as a sweep because I've done it yeah, from the ground. Yeah, yeah. But it's like I would need yeah, always I saw a couple get the takedown. I was like, fucking hell, man. That's that definitely helps with ru- like rugby. There definitely helps my um, that takedown game from there. But now I've started to get funky and do like imanari rows and everything. Um, but in theory, like as long as I'm advancing, they they can't stand me up, so they they'll be able to leg kick me, but they're not allowed to head kick. And then anything that they're going to do is going to be a strike. So like, if they're going to generate any sort of power, like they're going to have to dive on me, and then then we're on the ground anyway. So like, and I'm I'm really good at cutting angles. Like people people most people put in guard or something, but I'm I'm used to scooting around on my ass anyway. So like I'm I'm very quick at it. I'm very good at cutting angles. So. Once I once I get them somewhat cornered and I can get hold of them like that, that's where then the strength difference comes in. Then yeah, do you say you're going to be fighting around sixty two? Yeah, sixty like or sixty two. And it, will that be like a weigh in the day before? Kind yeah, of yeah. So so you'll be able to rehydrate. I'll be I'll to be up I, by the time like if it's at sixty two, I think I'll probably be in at about sixty seven kilo, sixty eight kilo the next day. Nice. Have you done a weight cut like that before? <laughs> yeah, that last one that was really that was horrendous. I did that. Um, I did that really badly as well. So I'd, I'd gone from uh, when I when I'd heard about the fight, I was like seventy two, seventy three, and then on the the Monday um, before the fight, so the fight was at the, on the weekend on the Saturday. On the Monday, I weighed seventy kilo, and the fight was at sixty two kilo. So then that week, um, and mostly between the day and the day before, I'd cut eight kilos. Again, that mostly water weight. Um, well, it's actually it was eight point three because I'd got to um, I'd, my scales were wrong and I fucking went point three kilos under, uh, which like I I felt like death um, and I re- rehydrated really badly. I didn't water load prior to that, which I didn't know about. Like I just sort of bo- like bodged the whole thing. Like by the time of the the, the fight, so then I did the weigh in. the The fight was like thirty six hours after, and I'd put on eight kilos. Like in in between, I was back up at seventy kilos. And did you feel all right when you got back no. up to seventy? Then? No, no. <laughs> I felt all right before I started, and then like about it must have been about a minute into the first round, I was like, "Fuck, I fucked myself." Because I, I was tra- I was training, I was doing like twenty five minute rounds with my coach, like non stop. Like I, I I was fit, you know, yeah. 
but that had like obliterated me. I was, uh, I didn't realize, um, I, I thought that the reason I wasn't pissing after, um, that when I was, when I was drinking again, rehydrate myself was just cause my body's like absorbing all the, all the water, but it was, it was cause my kidneys were like fucking up because I dehydrated myself so much. It wasn't processing it. So I, I the whole time I'm like, cool, I'll just keep drinking until I'm pissing, but I wasn't pissing because I'd fuck my kidney. <laughs> um, so wow. that, like, yeah, I was really like not in a good way to, to fight. Um, so I, I've le- I learned a lot from it. Um, so I, I, I don't want to cut like eight kilos or whatever that week. I think like six kilos is probably like reasonable. Like, it's still a lot, but um, I, I know I'll be all right with that. And, and um, so will you, will you do that weight cut now like with a kind of a coach, a doctor or whatever, or you just kind of got a better plan? Well, I know people, I, I, now I'm like a lot more in the community. I know a lot more people that are able to help me. So I'm not like, I've not got like a specific nutritionist or anything, but um, I'm a lot more clued up on it and i know a lot of people that are like very clued up on it so um i'll be i'll be like getting better advice but now i like i've got a pretty good blueprint like i've cut weight quite a few times for jiu-jitsu competitions but obviously it's a bit different when it's day before weighing yeah Um, jiu-jitsu you got like a a half an hour or an hour yeah you don't want to you don't want to cut too much water weight for jiu-jitsu like it's not like i i I would do like two kilo max water weight for jiu-jitsu um and then like rehydrate with like electrolytes so like if the after if it's like an afternoon fight, I'll get in like for early morning weigh-ins, yeah, and then like rehydrate and everything. And like I don't, my my stamina doesn't, I don't feel like at all um, compromised. But I, I I definitely felt like very compromised at that. Yeah, I bet. So and so, what's the show? The 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 uh, MMA show. I think it's called Fight Series. Fight Series. Um, they're in, in Northern in October. They will be in October. On. Yeah, and as, as as far as the venue, I'm not sure. I, th- I should probably know more. Like people always like, ask me stuff, and I'm like, I'm such a like I'm so like relaxed, you know. Like, for me, I, I just need to know. I know I need to get ready for the start of October. So like, that's and have you got a sponsor for for, for no. This? no, no, no. So no. guys, whoever's yeah. listening, <laughs> my giant audience of probably two hundred people, but whoever's listening, if you want to sponsor James, then uh, yeah, 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 that like, shoot him a shoot him a, shoot him a message on on Instagram. I would think, you know, it's probably quite a good uh, promotional tool for people because there's MMA fights on every weekend, right? Everyone's fighting amateur fights here, there, and everywhere. So, you know, anything that that kind of um, stands out a little bit for whatever reason, I mean, you know, it's it's, it's, everyone just wants eyeballs on their product. It it really, like, it sort of surprised me. Like, I've started to get um, some sponsors for stuff like... uh, probably only within the last like six eight months or something and like, i thought when i started i was like people are gonna love this like it's really sellable like my, my coach calls me the golden goose like because it, it, it helps with the club and everything you know like because it gets like eyes on it and um the the like the last post of the competition i like put a, a thing on um facebook and it got like forty five thousand likes or something on the bjj group on there and i just think like it's really good it's really good promotions and like especially if if i get a finish or something there like that that stuff just goes viral you know um yeah i mean or can do. I, I would have thought there'll be there'll be people you know reaching out all over the place yeah yeah but, but it's, it's, it's yeah maybe maybe not. if you want a podcast sponsor yeah <laughs> yeah yeah I'll, man i'll, I'm I'll, happy I'll, I'll do you something i yeah. think it'd be, be awesome to to be uh, involved with that yeah, yeah. so is there anything else that i should have asked you that we should have talked about that we haven't. God. 
Is there, there's nothing really I can think of. No, nothing, nothing offhand. There is. I, I think you've, you've you've covered everything really well, man. All right, I've got I've got two more questions then. Go on. So, question one is: If you had to be trapped in a TV show for a month, mm-hmm. what TV show would you want to be trapped in? You know, you can kind of pick the character within the I th- show. I, I think Always Sunny in Philadelphia. That I don't know if you watch that. It's a, no, it's a comedy. It's like it's brilliant. It's really funny. And always Sunny in Philadelphia. Yeah, oh, they're, they're, they're always up to some like nonsense. Like it's it's it's, it's okay. that bunkers. Yeah. Nice. All right. So so lighthearted bit of, bit of comedy. Yeah, right. yeah. Okay, that's good. And then uh, and then the last question is: You can have ten million pounds right now. But you're being chased by a snail. Do you know this one? <laughs> yeah, yeah? Yeah. If it touches you, you die. Yeah. Just in case anyone who's listening doesn't know the question, you're being chased by a snail. If it touches you, you die a horrible death. Uh, the snail knows where you are at all times. It cannot be stopped. It cannot be killed. And it has only one um, mission, which is to get to you. Would you take the money? Yeah, I'd, t- I'd take it. I think I, th- I think also just for the kick of no, like <laughs> something like that, sort of uh, a bit exciting. I'd, I'd forgotten the, the snail thing. I remember that years ago. And I, I, so after you contacted me, I was like watching some of the stuff, and I was like, "Fuck, I forgot about that." I and I asked my niece, oh, she's she's six, and I was like, "You can have all the sweets, anything forever, but you're getting chased by a snail." And she's like, "No." <laughs> But yeah, yeah. I'll take you'd it. go. You go for the money. Yeah, okay. yeah. Awesome. I I just go for the the thrill of it, to be honest. All right, yeah. For the for the uh, dodge the snail. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Nice. The, the money would help, like flying around to avoid it and stuff. But for sure. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, um, you the club you train at again? Shackleton BJJ. It's uh, Kettles and Bruce. Shackleton BJJ, and it's um, have they got a uh, Insta? Shackleton BJJ. Yeah, yeah, Shackleton BJJ on Insta. And um, what are you, I've got it tagged in mine as well. Yeah, so I'll put that in the show notes. And you, you guys now have you got classes every day? Yes, more or less. Yeah, yeah, no, it's every, every day evening. now. Yeah, every every single day. So the um, the only one that's not evening is Tuesday, and that's uh, lunchtime. Other than that, we've got classes every evening, and mostly um, or like on some of those days in the mornings as well. Nice and. Um, yeah, so I'll, I'll link to that in the in the show notes. And your Instagram is amputee underscore BJJ. That's it. Yeah. And Facebook? Uh, I, I'm not really on Facebook. My Facebook's like just Mainly like friends. Stuff. And, Do you have um, that cross-post thing? It just shares them to Facebook? Or yeah, I've stopped doing... I, I didn't realise for ages. I, so I stopped doing... Like, I'm, I I'm really figured like, that out recently. Yeah, I'm just not the person <laughs> that normally would like post loads of stuff and that. And it's like... I, 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 I find it almost like awkward sometimes. So I know like what the, you mean. I sort of keep the jujitsu and that sort of like mostly separate. Like the big achievements I'll post on Facebook as well, but um, I, I keep them sort of a bit separate because they're just sort of like friends and family and I don't think everyone's like interested yeah. in training stuff every day. And yeah, that, yeah, yeah, yeah. Cool. So amputee underscore BJJ yeah. on Instagram is the best place. Um, thank you very much for coming down. Yeah, thank this you for awesome. having me, man. That was like a real yeah, pleasure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Thank you. Very cool, very cool. So um, thank you guys for listening. Um, I'm sure you enjoyed this one as much as I did. Um, Thank you for sharing your time with us. I know everybody's time is precious. Um, So spend an hour and a half with us is is much appreciated. If you enjoyed this episode, then number one, go and listen to some others. Number two, go and share them with other people. Number three, make sure you're following the podcast on Instagram 
at White Basement Pod is the best place to follow. A uh, new episode every Tuesday, 5am every Tuesday. If you're an early riser, it will be there so you can have it on your commute into work. Um, yeah, we appreciate you listening. Give us some feedback. Um, leave some comments on the Insta posts. And uh, we'll catch you next time. If you don't deserve my love, you won't get it, no credit. me over once and regret it, yeah, I said it. Feelings and emotions, I can shed it, re-edit. I'm running from my past, yeah, a legacy through the hell is I'm